And so I'd like to talk about that today from what the Apostle Paul has to give to us. Out of the book of Philippians, there's a church in Philippi. We're talking about Europe. And we're talking about these brethren. And he makes a statement. And I want to talk about it in terms of how we think. So in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, in verse 8, we read this, given to us by the Apostle Paul. He's kind of summarizing. So he uses the word, finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is right, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. I'm not looking for an answer. But I want you to list in your heads, maybe on a piece of paper, might even think about it during the course of the week, but I'm going to ask you to list uh, all the things that are true. Everything that uh, you can come up with in terms of that which is true. Uh, whatever is noble or honest or honorable. I want you to come up with a list of things there. What is, what is pure? What is lovely? What is admirable? And what is excellent or praiseworthy? I ask you to come up with this because if we are to think upon them, we need to know what we're thinking upon because I think most of us will come up with one or two possibilities and we may just come up with the one word that is used here but beyond that, where do you go? I think that's, uh, so I'm going to ask you, us the question, what are you thinking? And with that, our thoughts have a profound effect upon our lives. We need to, to recognize that how we think has a profound effect upon our lives. As well, if we are left alone with our thoughts, we can have both positive and negative consequences. So when we just have our own thoughts, we, we don't put them out there in the light of day. When I say the light of day, uh, for others to see, and, we, and, and if we don't put our thoughts out there for God to see, you think, well, God knows my thoughts. Ah, uh, but it's totally different when we put our thoughts out there for God to see. And the way we oftentimes do that is we verbalize something to God. Such things as, God, that isn't fair. God, why did you do this? God, I love you, but I'm having difficulty feeling it in this moment. Or we might even say this, or ask this question, God, what in the world are you thinking? Maybe we should put that a little differently. God, what in heaven are you thinking? Different? You know, just a slight change, but what is God in heaven thinking? And then the ability to think and to process thoughts are more than just an evolutionary development without design and purpose. I mean, we study the human brain and the ability for mankind, unlike anything else, to think to imagine, to be able to go forward, backward, do that instantaneously. 
uh, to be able to imagine things that are beyond our imagination. We, we have those things. So, so kind of summarizing this with the Apostle Paul, what are Christians to think? What are we to think? And this is what Paul is asking here in this question, or actually he's telling us here what we ought to be thinking upon, and he gives a list of things to think upon. The things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Now, praiseworthy is, in part, the end game of our thinking. So, we need to think about things that are worth praising. And while it appears to be the end game, it actually is the beginning of the game, or the beginning of the process of thinking. Because praise leads us, that is Christians, and Paul is talking to Christians uh, here in this letter, it leads us to Jesus. It leads us to the Lord, is what the Apostle Paul is saying. And I started to say it leads us to God. But I think we're shortcoming, uh, shortcutting it if it just leads us to God for this reason. Without going through Jesus, who says that he's the one who reveals the Father, we, we kind of misunderstand, because ancient Israel misunderstood God and who he was and what he was doing, and Jesus comes and he begins to tell them, well, you know, I am the exact representation. You know, you've heard things in times past, but I'm telling you, he's, he's clarifying. He's telling us, no man can know the Father except he come through me, and, and I reveal the Father, and no one can know me unless the Father reveal me. And this is complicated because I'm going to give you a Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is going to unite with your spirit, and you're going to have a relationship, and there are emotions involved in all of this. And you think, whoa, where is all this going? And then... How we think. So when we think about how we think, oftentimes our lives are, well, first of all, they're short-lived. And I think most of us are beginning to notice that they're getting shorter as we grow older in the life. But it's like coming in the middle of a movie, and you have no idea what has gone on before, and you don't know what's happening in the future, and you're not exactly sure what's going on right then. And this is what I love about when you go to a movie, if you actually would read critics, you know, look at a movie, I'm thinking, what they see? You know, I didn't see that. I just went to enjoy the movie, uh, just to be entertained in the moment or, or you know, something. I just, a, a distraction that it might be. But we come into the middle. I mean, there's all this history before our lives, our humanity, in the past. There's all the present and that we don't fully know. Um, ourselves in terms of our thinking, nor do we all know fully the thinking of other individuals and what promotes their thinking. So when we think about, though, praiseworthy, it goes back to God, and it goes back to Jesus, the need of Jesus, our Lord Jesus, to lead us to godly praise. So the Apostle Paul, though, begins this in terms of thinking. He begins it with an interesting thing. Think on whatsoever is true. Now let's take a look at some of our difficulties on thinking what is true. 
In our world today, for example, we say there are no absolute truths. And that seems very reasonable from this perspective. Things that we knew and understood in times past, now we, we don't. They've changed. So I'm going to take Dave's little story he was telling me before church. He's got, Dave has got a Dave TV and antenna. You, you all know what a Dave TV and antenna is. It's old, been patched up, held together, glued, duct taped, all of those things, but it works for Dave. And he's got a rotor on it, and he's trying to get two different stations, one here and one there, and so his rotor is not working. He finds out his rotor's not working, so when he goes to check his rotor, he finds that his, not only is his rotor not working, but in the process, the antenna bends all the way over, basically flops on the ground, and now he goes to check it, and he knows this. Dave knows this. You point the antenna in the direction of the signal, and you get the signal, and you've got to have it upright like this, and this is where the signal comes in. Now his antenna is basically almost laying the ground vertical, and it's getting both channels better than he ever got it before. And he can't understand it. And he's talking about, well, there's, there's, there's changes happening here. This is because it's not analog. I don't even understand analog and di digital and all of those things. But my point is, he's saying, it's not supposed to work that way. That isn't it. That's totally against everything that I ever believed. So when we think about truth, here's the point where the Apostle Paul says, I want you to understand there is a truth. And when we think about thinking, we got to think about what is true. So let's just take all of us. Most of us, except for Richard, are getting old. And my wife. Anyway, because I'm trying to get wiser in the moment, having made that statement. So as we get older, you can tend to think, the truth of the matter is, I'm just old and worthless and, you know, I'm, I'm out of here. Well, the truth of the matter is, we are ageless in the sense that we have hope for tomorrow and we have hope for life. And in spite of what we see in the mirror, we have eternal life dwelling in us because we have the Holy Spirit. That is a truth that is not self-evident. There is also a truth that we are sinless in His sight. Holy and blameless. That's a truth. There also is a truth, when we understand truth, that in the truth, we are set free, and that truth that sets us free is Jesus because he is the truth. So when we t tend to think about, well, what I think about it, we have to think on those things which are true. And in our world, and I'm going to use the world of humanity, there is one truth, and that truth is Jesus. And that truth is, I say, in our humanity because Jesus was fully human. He became one of us. He dwelt with us. He humbled himself. And he isn't asking, you know when we read about have the mind, 
uh, in us as the same as in Christ and love one another. And if there's any consolation in Christ, have bowels of mercy and compassion that we read from in our scripture reading, we, we, we understand that, that Jesus humbled himself. He became one of us and then he returned to his Father. And he is glorified and dwells at the Father's right hand. That is the truth. So truth is the opening to life, to freedom, and peace. And to praise. Truth leads us to Jesus. And then this is again what Jesus tells us. The truth sets us free. We have freedom because of Jesus. And when we think about how we think, and we're thinking on these things, we think about, now where, where is it that I have freedom? And where does it start? It starts with Jesus because he sets us free. It starts with because Jesus also reminds us in terms of truth in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth. And then what does the truth do? The truth leads us to God. Jesus is busy in our lives, and the Holy Spirit is busy in our lives, revealing the truth, or God, to all of us. Now, in terms of thinking, because I, if I would ask this question of us, how many times have our thoughts and our thinking taken us into deep, dark wells of discouragement, depression, despair, despondency and just misguided us the way in which we think. All of us have been led astray by our own thinking because it doesn't hit what we call the light of day, but I would suggest that a light has come into the world hasn't hit that light to help us to see and to understand. So because of that, and I want to go back before this in, in this address that the Apostle Paul is, is, has given to them, this letter that he has written, and help us to understand some things that he has said prior to this to set up this point about, finally, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think on these things. Paul says in verse 4 of Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. So let's think about how is it that we can rejoice in the Lord always. Because we're, we're going to do some thinking around this. Because this is our starting point. Where do we rejoice? Oh, oftentimes we want to rejoice in material. We want to rejoice if it's something how we see it. It's going our way. But we rejoice in the Lord always, both in, as Paul put it another way, I've learned to be content whether I am based or whether I abound. And we can find good things in what God is doing always. So let's take a common, something common to all of us in our future. Death. Is there any rejoicing in death? Having asked that question, and I, I don't want to be... I, I saw this picture the other day. I was watching the news. And Senator Bob Dole was being honored. He was in a wheelchair. He's 94 years of age. He just looked terrible. Now, he's still alive, and it could carry on conversation, but he really looked bad. And I've seen people, you know, over 100, and they look not really good. And I think to myself, well, 
to live in this flesh, you know, wait a minute here. Is, is there a better way? Or if you're sick, you're decaying, if we can call it cancer, or whatever it might be, and you think, death has a, a comfort to it. Jesus tells us that when he says of Lazarus. When they ask about him, he says he, he sleeps, he rests. We have, there is a positive thing that we don't have to continue this earthly fight, this earthly journey forever and ever. Think if you were Methuselah and lived 969 years. And so for most of us, think of 900 more years to our life that we're going to have to live and everything that's going on. If you backed up 900 years, back up 900 years and think, my, we go back to the 1100s and then we got all of this to go through. We're going to have to go through, you know, the Dark Ages, the Renaissance, Reformations, people, persecution, problems, difficulties, the world that, that you know, you go back. Anyway, the point of it is there are some very positive things because God has appointed it that way. But after this, the resurrection, a change. So there's a... There's a hope that we have in rejoicing in the Lord always, no matter what. So Jesus is our starting point for rejoicing, and rejoicing changes our thinking. And here's how it changes our thinking when we begin with Jesus. First of all, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He made everything. That changes it. But, verse 14, the Word became flesh. He dwelt among us. He is full of grace and truth. That changes our thinking. Who are, you know, it tells us who we are in Christ is not a worldly thought. It's a heavenly thought. As Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, when you think about changing our thinking in this present age, even though yet we have not attained to that, one of the scriptures that changes my thinking and hopefully changes yours as well, it talks about this ambivalence that we have, this tension that we're all caught in in terms of our thinking. So here's what the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And he starts with, notice a very positive thing. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Now, when, when we start our thinking process, here's what we've got to think. How great is the love that God, our Heavenly Father, has lavished on us? Not just a little bit. He has poured out His love, and we think about, wow, I need to think about Jesus. I need to think about love itself. How love has changed my life. How the love of God has changed my life. How the love with humanity has changed. How to love my neighbor. Oh, and if my neighbor also loves me, how that changes your whole community. How you interact, how you connect. But here it's about how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Now, does the world think that they are God's children? No. Much of the world thinks that they have just come from nothing without God's involvement in that. 
Now, there are some who believe that we, there's a process of evolution and God was involved in it. But the bottom line is this miraculous way in which we understand that God created us, he made us, and he made us in his image, in his likeness. And he's very happy with that and what he is doing. So we're called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is it does not know him. So this helps our thinking because we'd like it. Life changes and our thinking changes if everybody agrees with us. We feel comfortable if we have numbers around what we think. And if everybody thought the same way, it would correct all of our problems. Well, not necessarily unless we think correctly, unless we include God in this. So he goes on, dear friends, now we are children of God. Now, do you think that? Do you think that way? That you are dear children of God right now, in this moment. Now are we children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. So now we begin to think about, well, what are we going to be? And here's my thinking. We're going to be everything that God wants me to be. And my thinking is, I want to be what God wants me to be. And when God has me be all he wants me to be, and I want to be all that I want to be, I might be able to say, I am that I am. This is me. And I'm very more than happy. I am just where God wants me. I know his love. He loves me. I am in the tapestry according to his good pleasure. He has placed me in a body. And this is a, that's a great place to be. So we think about, well, we're children of God, but we don't know yet what we're going to be. It's not been known. But we know that when he appears, and we're speaking of Jesus, when he appears, we shall be like him. Now, and, and why do I think that way? Because scripture tells me that I ought to have the mind of Christ Jesus, ought to have his thinking, Philippians 2.5 this mind be in you, that he became one of us. We see him as he is, as he was. He tells us he is the creator. We're to be like him. I'm pretty excited about being like Jesus. I'm not like him in this world by any stretch of the imagination, but he calls things that not as though they are. But I want my thinking to be his thinking and that I can find happiness. So when he appears, we're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Wow. It's, it's, a, it's a different way in which we see Jesus at that time. So there, there is hope. And then he says, as a result of this, everyone who has this hope. Now, I'm thinking that God wants us to be people of hope, in spite of the fact that we haven't yet got there. But we, we have hope in, in him. That's where our hope rests. That's where our rejoicing rests is in him. We have hope in him. 
He purifies himself just as he is pure. This is the prod, the motivation, the thinking. Because if we have a negative outlook towards Jesus, if we have a negative outlook towards towards God, we have a negative outlook towards his way, we think it's all bad, or we're like the guy that I didn't mention last week when we talk about all the things that thinks God is an austere God. God is not. God is generous. He's a giver of all good gifts. So we think on these things, and the end result is what Jesus was telling us. You know, my Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. This is what the Father is seeking. He, he wants us to, to, to come to him, to seek him, to worship him. And when we think about true worshipers, worship is about praise. It's, worship is about the awesomeness of God. So as I was telling, uh, mentioning to Jeanette, you know, the, the things that, that happen in your life where you, you just kind of, with Jeanette, she just busts out in song, just all the time. There are other things in life that happen, and you think, oh, that's so inspiring, that's so encouraging, that is so comforting, that is so wonderful, I can't help but hardly keep my feet from dancing, you know. The music is playing, I feel good, I feel great, I feel like I have life. And who's responsible for that? God. Our heavenly, heavenly Father is, and you, you think about, wow, worship. So when I see springtime springing, or I see the, the coolness of winter, and I see God's provision, and God's invisible hand in everything, and I see God's hand in, in my heart, and hope, and love, and faith, and joy, and peace, and all of that, I think, man, I want to think like Jesus thinks. Jesus thinks he can walk on water. Jesus thinks that if I had faith of a grain of mustard seed so small, I could move mountains. And if you could move mountains, which ones would you move and why? Oh, when we think of mountains, we always think of oh, these big high peaks, but you know, there are a lot of mountains in people's lives, hills that they can't climb, can't get through, and like. So rejoicing always requires faith, hope, and the love of God. If we're going to rejoice in the, in the Lord always, it is that. And central re to rejoicing is Jesus. So now let's take a look at what he is, goes on to tell us. He, he's, he's telling these individuals, so therefore let gentleness be known, this is verse 5, unto all men. He's setting up the things that we ought to be thinking about. Your gentleness be known unto all men. Not just fellow Christians. Bad thinking. And so, this is a little comeback to the first part of this chapter, because what's the problem? that Paul is, has encountered. He has two church members that can't get along with one another. Eutychus and Synthica. Verse 2. They're in disagreement. They're squabbling with one another. This is not uncommon in church. It is not uncommon in marriages. It is not uncommon in life, in neighborhoods, in countries, in politics. 
It is not uncommon for that to happen. So he's telling them, let your gentleness be known to all men. Now, imagine what the gentleness of one or both of them might have changed their squabbling. So Paul is reminding, being gentle. Think like Jesus, because it tells us here in verse 5 of, in the book of Philippians, let your gentleness be known as if the Lord is at hand. So let's think about how you would respond to someone if Jesus was standing in your midst. Now, how quick can we respond to someone with a, with a tone of attitude over something that we don't like? And I use my most common thing for me is I have this tone of voice when I'm lost. I hope I'm making some improvement. In fact, I was in San Francisco yesterday giving some people a tour who'd asked for a tour of San Francisco. I was back almost in the same place I was 22 years ago with the same person in the car, stuck smack dab in traffic, going nowhere. Halfway in the intersection, out of the intersection, going nowhere and nowhere fast for an hour. And I moved a couple of stoplights. I did make some improvements, I think. I think, because my wife said, you did pretty well. But it's like this tone of voice there. Which three? Which three? Well, I told you, this three. We, we just so instantly, you know, <laughs> go off and on our attitude show. But if Jesus were standing in our midst, how would we respond? So that's what, what Paul is saying. To, you know, how would you do this? How gentle would you be if Jesus? So let's take, for example, you got somebody who has sinned against you, and Jesus is standing in your midst. How would Jesus think? And how would you think that Jesus thinks? And what would you know that Jesus thinks? And how would you handle that? When we think that the Lord is at hand, our thinking changes. I've used this oftentimes in dealing with, with clients in addiction. You know, if your parole officer was here, would you do this? And they've got a, a blank expletive, no. Well, what if God were here? Well, I don't know. It's like, well, I hadn't thought about God being there. I wouldn't do it if my mom was here. But as if Jesus is ever-present in our thinking, it changes how we think. Because this age, Jesus, you're, you're upset and thinking, God, this isn't fair. So Jesus said, well, I, I see that you think that this is not fair. Can you tell me how that I'm being unfair? How the Father is being unfair? What would you do? What do you think I ought to do? Think about that. And, and I'm going to get to that later, but lest I forget this, not, the example of the laborers and the day laborers, Okay, we're talking day laborers here. And they're offered a penny. They're very happy. And, of course, you know the whole story. At the end of the day, some people come the last hour or last 45 minutes, and they also get paid a penny and the like. And what's their problem? Th this fits in both with not thinking the way God thinks, not loving your neighbor as yourself, 
not loving God and not being just. Because Jesus was just and he says, do I not have the right? Am I being unfair? Because this man or this person got a penny. They needed a penny. Yeah, they didn't work in that. But how much have we gotten from God we haven't worked a lick for? Like he's called us and he would care for us and he's brought us out of a foreign country, as it were, and we seek his kingdom. We're not citizens of this world. We act like we're citizens of this world and this belongs to us and we deserve this and we deserve that. Think like God thinks and it would change. Could you imagine for a moment our Congress thinking like God thinks? Our leadership thinking like God thinks, all of us thinking like God thinks, it would be different. So gentleness, let it be known as if God. Be anxious for nothing, for anything. Don't be anxious. Now how does that change our thinking? When we are anxious, our thinking goes negative. It, you know, becomes, it becomes accusative. Anxiety changes our thinking and our actions. To give you an example, again this past week, my computer went red screen. Ah, but this time I knew that it, what I needed to do was shut it down. Oh, but my heart went, and I'm saying, be still my heart. Be st I know, no, no, I know what to do. I was anxious, it took me half a day even though I got it off and all that, me, instantly like that. That's what anxiety does to people, does to us. You don't think that's true? Peter steps out of the boat onto the water, and he takes a step or two, and then anxiety hits, I can't do this, and he starts to sink, he's calling out, you know, yeah, this is what happened. So it, anxiety produces negative emotions, Motives, rather, it elevates the unknown, it smothers faith, hope, and love. So Paul is saying, don't get anxious. That's where we go immediately. We got a conspiracy theories and we think, well, this is, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. Look, for conspiracy theories, God has a plan. He has a purpose. You don't think there were conspiracies in Jesus' day? You know, Herod, the Romans, the Jews, his, you know, yeah, everybody. Be anxious for nothing and all that. It says, then the peace of God which transcends all understanding. The way God thinks isn't our way. Thinking that is based on our, how I see it, how I understand it. Now, we, again, we have our own experiences and the like, and well, I'm not trying to invalidate our experiences, but we really have to recognize that the way God understands things and sees things. So if we're going to think on these things, we have to understand God, understand he has good purposes for all of us and the like. And he, then he goes on to verse 7, he says, it will guard your heart. Now, the heart is the emotions, it, the way we think, and our emotions change the way we think. And our mind, that is our cognitive, 
in Christ Jesus. Notice it comes right back to Jesus again. In our thinking, our hearts guarding it, it refocuses us on Jesus, his life, and his example, which Jesus said, my peace I give to you. This is John 14, 27. And we need to be on guard in terms of what we think. The scripture is not in there, but I'm reminded in Corinthians, Apostle Paul says, casting down vain imaginations. These are vain thoughts that we have. So, verse 8 then, things to think on and how to think. So, you think, well, wow, i got a whole new page to go here. And I think he's not going to get finished today. And you probably are thinking correctly, but put on your NASCAR helmet and let's go. Here's what we think. We think truth in a world of lies because Satan is a liar and we focus on truth and Jesus is the truth. And we are forgiven, we are loved, we're redeemed, we're reconciled. Truth applies to others as well who are in Christ Jesus. And truth changes our life. And I want to mention this. We love our neighbors whether they're Christian or not. That's the truth of the matter. This is how Jesus, he, we love them. Do we agree with them? No, but we still love them. Also, we think on that which is honorable. It starts with Jesus living his life in us having the mind of Christ, doing that which is honorable, and not being grave diggers of others' dishonesty. We live in a world now where everybody is digging up everybody's past and the like. And if you're thinking about the past of others, you're not being forgiving, and then as a result of that, you're not thinking like Jesus thinks. Jesus came and he died for them. Think on that which is just. Remembering Jesus is the justifier and he has justified us. Just means equitable, it means righteous. How do we be just without Jesus? And this is the example that I gave of the penny. Jesus was just. He did what was just, what is good for them. And he also tells us the just. You know, speaking of his sermon about being just in the kingdom. Also, pure. Now, thinking on those things that are pure. We, we live in a world of impurity, and it's, I mean, you watch any sitcom, and it's about those little Indian, in, in, you know, those little things that come along <laughs> that make you think of things that, well, that's not quite way ought to be thinking. Here's the thing about, when we think about being sons of God, it motivates us to hope to be pure. To the pure, all things are pure. And also in Titus it tells us that we are purified. He has made us pure. And Jesus, Jesus has purged us from our sins. So pureness, it's about coming into his righteousness, seeking his righteousness, his kingdom. Lovely, can we think of things which are lovely, which means acceptable or lovable? Thinking on what is lovable about God and man. Now, this is an unthinkable thought. There is nothing unlovable about God. Nothing. Well, what about this? There is nothing unlovable about God. We just don't understand. 
And that's okay. He knows we don't understand. But we will. There is nothing unlovable about Jesus. Absolutely nothing. We spend too much think time thinking on the devilish world in which we live. We think about the things which are lovely. We think about things that are a good report. You know, the speech with goodwill embedded. You, you know, you think about the good things. Y yes, and we're able to do that because we recognize that Jesus gives us a good report. And there are several examples of that. When he said, Father, they're not of the world even as I'm not. No. That's a good report. Think, I call things not as though they were. Father, they're my friends. A good report. And it's gracious speech in a good report. Grace is unmerited favor. If we're going to think and we conduct our lives, we conduct it in a different way, a good report. Virtue. Virtues think on virtue, which is excellence, valor, and interesting enough, it says manly enough. So let me put that another way. Enough power to do what is right. Interesting comment that Jesus made to the woman who had uncleanness, touched his garment, and he says, virtue has gone from me. It was like, let's, let's call it good strength. The valor to stand up and to think good things in the face of bad things, to be brave, and the power to do good, and then praise. When it's, you think about, wow, how good, that Jesus is worthy of praise, and praise is positive. Worship is positive. We're called to worship our Lord, seek Him, worship Him in spirit and truth. Praise for life well lived in Christ Jesus our, our Lord. So your homework assignment for all of us this week, find some things that go under these categories because if we don't have things under these categories, you think, what I need to think about today? Hmm, don't know. I can't think of a single thing to think about that expresses my appreciation to God. Now, if Eutychus had been thinking about these things, they wouldn't have got in the dither they got into having the spat that they would. If you and I would think on these things, our lives would be different. These are the good things. So to all of us, brethren, think on these things. And at the core of it all is Christ Jesus our Lord, who's opening up heavens to reveal his Father to his praise and glory. Let's conclude in prayer. Father, we thank you very much for your love, your kindness, your mercy, and who you are. Help our minds, Father. Heal our minds. Help us to have the mind of Christ, to see each other with the mind of Christ, and to see ourselves as you see us with the hope that we have, that you would call us sons of God and lavish your love upon us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Feeling the blues today? or tired of life already? Do you have questions about life or need spiritual advice? The Worldwide Church of God is located in Fairfield, Santa Rosa, and Modesto, California. We welcome everyone to attend our worship services with us every week at the times listed on your screen.